Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends out there? This is another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty podcast. My name is Nate, and right across from me is my BFF, Charles Thompson. What's up today, Charlie? How you feeling? What does BFF mean? You're my best friend forever. Oh, that's very nice of well, you to you say know, that. Technically, that's a misstatement because we haven't had forever yet. No. So, like, it's your, you're my BFS. You're my best friend so far. That, that's really BSF, BS, BFSF. Yeah, that's, that's what right. you are. So far. Right here across from me is my BFSF, Charles Thompson. How's it going, man? You feeling good? Well, I'm feeling a trillion and a half dollars good today. Good. That's what I'm feeling. <laughs> Did your uh, portfolio pop up a bunch? Yeah. That was some expensive heroin. <laughs> good Lord. But <laughs> you're really paying top dollar. A trillion and a half worth. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit boring, but I've been sifting through some <laughs> of the Federal Reserve's balance sheets and stuff. It's been, it's interesting. It is. Yeah, it's interesting when you start to understand this system a little bit. And that is the problem. It is boring. It's really boring it to is. go through, like reading all of this stuff and reading about the Federal Reserve injecting this much money or raising their interest rates so they can recoup some of the money. Reading through all this stuff, you'd much rather just get a really catchy headline to determine what your thoughts on this are going to be. Like you know, that, that's really what you would rather get. It's funny you mentioned that because I was in a conversation yesterday with uh, with a friend of mine, a cousin of mine, and I wanted to say some of those things because they kept laughing at my responses. And I... And I wanted to reply and be like, yeah, I know it's funny because economics is boring yeah, and it's, it's not as exciting as, you know, just projecting or articulating your feelings of what you feel about a situation. I get that. I get that not everybody wants to do it, which is why we don't have a bunch of econ majors. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I understand that this type of stuff, it's, it's hard and it is boring, but we're able to. Not, I don't dumb it down is the wrong word because it's not dumbing it down, but put it in to a discussion that makes it a little bit more digestible. Yeah. Let's say we want to articulate it in a fashion that everyone could understand it and not get so crazy bored that they switch over to Joe Rogan right, right now. Right. You know? well, I, we, we were talking about, you know, a productive economy and he was like, well, if production drives wealth, then me and all my bus boys should own our restaurant by now. And, and I was like, well, when were restaurants first invented? When was the first restaurant ever? Yeah. Well, if you go back and look it up, it was in the mid 1700s. So you're saying we've had restaurants now for about 300 years, a little less than 300 years. How long have humans been in existence? So which came first? The store of capital and production that drove restaurants to what they are today? Or was it all the busboys got together and decided to open up a restaurant in 1750? Well, and the thing is, <laughs> like, all those all those busboys can get together and start their own right, restaurant. Right. But when it comes to the person who started the restaurant, the value of the labor for the busboy, who is easily interchangeable with almost anyone, uh, their value is not near as much as the value as the actual restaurant. So saying that, well, because I worked this much, I should own the restaurant... That doesn't make how many other people were there that were working with you? Are the are you the only person that is ever working in that restaurant? How could you think that just all you busboys working would own the restaurant? That's greedy versus all the servers and all the people who work, you know, the hostess, hostesses and the hosts that are up there, the bartender. It's greedy to think that just you busboys should own the restaurant right now. Right. Really, you know, it's all of your labor put together is creating a lot of the actual productivity, but then again, Again, would any of you have been able to do anything if someone had not put the restaurant there in the first place? Right. Because if that were the case, then all of you busboys would group together and you would save your money and you would start your own restaurant. And that's what you would do. This is what our population doesn't understand about economics. They, They are so ignorant in economics that when you actually present them with like facts, they laugh at you. Yeah. This is like, oh, well, that's just funny. Funny that you would think that. It's like, no, I don't think that. Like, it, it is. It is. Yeah. I don't like, think that. Right. <laughs> I, I have just read about how it is. I, like, it's, not, it's not my feelings or emotions. What you're saying is based on how you feel about the situation. And we're talking about the actual economics and what it is. Right. <laughs> and you're talking about how you feel it should be. Yeah. The, those are the two differences. All I did was laid out how restaurants came to be. Yeah. And how it, did that I, go? 
It came from a productive economy, from production. Well, someone had to start. Who started the restaurant that your that your cousin works at? Who started it? Yeah, did he start it? Some some greedy capitalist, probably. Why doesn't he <laughs> just go start his own restaurant? I know. Why That's doesn't the he? whole point of all of That's this? The, he is completely free to go start his own restaurant. Completely free. Why does he want to take the other person's restaurant that they started? Because all start the risk, your own. Because all the risk is gone. Because all now. the risk is gone. Because that person <laughs> started it. That's why you won't go start your own. This is why it's so important to understand the boring fundamental basics of economics because you have to understand that for that restaurant to exist there has to be a store of capital somebody has to be willing to take a risk by the way restaurants are the number one failed business oh yeah in america by far people fail at them all the time because it's actually really difficult to run a restaurant but because jesus you got to make people happy and that's really hard (laughs) and you're dependent (laughs) on no offense listen i worked in a rush i worked in restaurants for eight years long time you're dependent on the kind of people who end up working in restaurants, right? <laughs> well, I'm saying no. Different people are at different stages in their lives, yeah. And it's completely cool to work at a restaurant. I worked at a restaurant for eight years. Let me preface that one more time. Once yeah. again, I worked in a restaurant for eight years. I but let me there tell you what: time. most of the people I worked with at the restaurant were high on cocaine. That's yeah. just true. I'm not making that up. That's not how I feel. You literally saw someone almost die one time because they they snorted their coke wrong while they were at the restaurant. Yeah. Okay. So give the Heimlich. It's very hard to start a restaurant and make it profitable because it's the same thing as like when I was running a construction company. Who are the people that I'm attracting to come work for me at the construction company? It's once again, it doesn't mean that there aren't really good workers in that. But you guys know that there are certain jobs that will end up attracting people who don't have another job to go to. And while those are good stepping stones for while you're making your way and you're young and you're working way up, if you're 50 or 60, large percentage wise of the people who end up still working there are people who maybe haven't made all the best decisions. Now, there are other people who have been there for a long time. They've gotten raises while they're there. They love their job. It's, it's, good. Manager it's a good job. They moved regional yeah. manager. They're doing great. Or they just like what they're doing. They like the freedom of working in that restaurant. That was a good thing about working in the restaurant, by the way. You got a lot of freedom. Pick That's why I liked shifts. it. Yep. Pick up a shift. You can give away your shifts. You can go home early if you want to. You can stay longer if you want to. There's a lot of freedom in waiting tables. So that's the reason a lot of people pick it. Hopefully, I have eased all of the anger from people who work at restaurants by this time in the podcast. <laughs> well, yeah. and, and so, so all that to say, <coughs> excuse me. Contrary to yeah, coronavirus, I don't know yet. Man, you um, can't test. I got to go to South you Korea to test. get a test yeah. kit. <laughs> Contrary to you know AOC's economic degree in the Keynesian world, um, you know today's show is going to be a little bit about boring economics in a fun way because we're hilarious. But contrary to the Keynesian idea, what I was trying to tell my cousin and friends of mine here is that the ones who laugh at me is that the only way to actually produce wealth is by is through a productive economy. Like somebody has to take that store of capital, they have to take a risk, and then they have to start the restaurant. Yeah. And somebody had to decide to do that way back in the 1750s. It was the first one. Okay. And, and since then, now we have restaurants that we see today, right? You have franchises and all kinds of things, but it wasn't without that first start. And that's how anything, look at any industry that we ever have, why did America become the richest nation on earth? Greed. It wasn't because of greed and slave labor. I can tell you that. <laughs> no, it's because people took uh, through freedom. People took stores of wealth. They took risks. They created innovation and efficiencies, which allowed people to be more productive. And that production led to wealth growth. Yeah. And it's tr- still true today. It's just it is what is. You can easily look at it. Pro- Production drives an economy. You could think consumption or production. If you want to grow an economy and make it better, you need more production. You need more efficient production. You need more innovations. You could think, well, consumption, people buying things, that's what's going to do it. That only does it in the short term. That only does it if the profits from all those people buying things go into something productive afterwards. Yeah. Okay. So you could say, well, you need people to buy things. That's true. But that's not the driver of everything. The driver is that the production side is working efficiently, that when people do buy things and there is profit left over, that that profit goes towards more production so you can actually grow the economy. What we've had over a long time is called Keynesianism. 
it, AOC's favorite economist, Milton Keynes, had this <laughs> <laughs> had this long time idea that what was cons- his actual what was his actual first name? <laughs> um, oh dang it! Now you're making me. Is it Frederick? It's like Alfred uh, or something. I don't know. It's something. It's, yeah, I'll I mean, look it, it up. Now while I'm you're blanking doing. on it. Gosh, go ahead. I'll look Not it up. Milton Friedman. Lord, I want to say like Lord Rupert Keynes. <laughs> like that's what I, that's what pops up in my head. That's not it. That's just what comes in my head. So, listen, John Maynard. John Maynard. Yeah, okay, that's like it. I just remember Maynard, like like from Perfect Circle. Yeah. Tool. Just remember Maynard. <laughs> you know, John Maynard Keynes. John Maynard. Whoa, we were way off. Man. Yeah. Not, not even close. Frederick. No. Maybe he had a brother named Alfred, and he had the idea. <laughs> of Keynesian Alfred first. Einstein yeah that's Alfred Einstein <laughs> that's what it is it's our favorite economist <laughs> Alfred Einstein okay so we're talking about Lord Rupert Keynes here really quick and this entire idea is that the more you buy the more consumption there is the more money you inject into something the more debt that you take and you inject into the economy well the better that economy is going to run the more it's going to grow now partially there's like an idea there that could be true and it's if you took out the debt and the debt towards the debt and the money went towards the most efficient use possible and there was an actual growth in production. Unfortunately, when you do that and you give it to the government and the government wastes about 75 cents out of every single dollar that they spend, well, you don't get that growth in production. You see, if, if Bill Gates takes out a $100 billion loan, then he's going to turn that into a trillion dollars worth of value really easily. If the government takes out a $100 billion loan, it will be spent in about eight days and it will be gone and we won't have any value from it anymore. And it's not going to grow and it's not going to create a trillion dollars worth of wealth. It's just going to be gone. So there's a problem when you think about this idea of injecting money into something and thinking that that's going to grow the economy. You got to look at who's spending the money and is it being used productively, which is not what happens with the government. Now, we've had this idea of Keynesianism playing out from the Federal Reserve for going on, uh, what, 107 years now? 107 years we've been ruled by the evil Fed. Almost as long as the Chicago Cubs were held out of the World Series. (laughs) Just about. (laughs) And just as sad. Yeah. So So we got to talk about the Federal Reserve. We also have a little bit of coronavirus news. And I think... um, we, well, we're going to talk a little bit about the AOC thing, aren't we? Yes. How that works with um, the South Korea and all that. But first, before we get there, you got to subscribe to this podcast. Got to do it's it. It's something we say every single day. And the reason why, to all of you avid listeners, we appreciate your longtime support. But there are a lot of new people coming in. And so we want to let you guys know, just please subscribe to that podcast. It's one massive beneficial thing that you can do for us. And we need you to do a few things for us uh, as we do this show for you. Like we give, we do, we provide value to you. We need you to provide a little bit of value back in return. That's just the way freedom works. I'm just checking. And our so, numbers are, are up. They're, yeah. They're up. Yeah. Which is good. That's the direction that you want numbers to go typically. Yes. Unless it's a debt figure. No. This isn't a debt figure. It's a listener number. Right. And, and it's up. So yeah. good. So for all you new people out there, please subscribe to the podcast and uh, leave us a rating and review. Uh, now we can move on. There to, you go. To the news of the day. Okay, so this big news, what you're going to hear everyone talking about is the fact that the Federal Reserve is injecting $1.5 trillion into the market, into the banking system, into all this stuff, buying up, you know, treasuries. They're going to be putting money in the repo market. I don't know if they just go and buy outright stocks. That's not, I don't think that's always what they do, but this does prop up a lot of people. And so we got to talk about a couple different angles on this. And what your initial feeling is going to be. I know what my initial feeling is. My initial feeling is I don't like it. I don't like it when the Fed decides that they're going to take fake money and put it into the market and pretend like that's going to help the situation when in fact that's what caused a lot of the situation. We have a market that has been propped up with fake money, trillions and trillions of dollars over a span of what, 10, 13, 14 a hundred years that they've been injecting fake money into and eventually it creates a bubble and when the bubble pops guess what bubbles don't pop really slowly they're not like oh that bubble popped watch it deflate really slowly over time that's not really what happens when a bubble pops it bursts and it's gone and that's what we've seen over the last couple weeks now there's a bubble popping 
of the Fed putting in trillions and trillions of dollars. And now, to fix the problem, they're going to put in $1.5 trillion to help the problem. Now, so that's the initial negative reaction to it. Let me read through this story so we can just get what's going on. And we'll talk about potential positives or why they why this could be the time for them to do this if it weren't the thing that created the problem in the first place. So this is Fed injects $1.5 trillion to prop up crashing markets. This is from Forbes.com. As stocks headed for their worst day since 1987's Black Monday crash, the Federal Reserve announced further measures to prop up liquidity, including a potential injection of more than $1.5 trillion into the market. Stocks responded immediately, cutting losses in half on the announcement. That was that big spike up you saw yesterday. That's when they announced that. Before dropping back down 8%. The Fed said it will ramp up its overnight funding operations, buying repos or repurchase agreements by $1.5 trillion over the next two days. These changes are being made to address highly unusual disruptions in Treasury financing markets associated with the coronavirus outbreak, the New York Fed said in a statement on Thursday afternoon. The Fed also widened the range for its reserve management purchases, which had previously been restricted to short-term Treasury bills, to include other types of financial instruments. Uh-oh, so I guess maybe they will be buying some other financial instruments. Hmm. I don't know if those are trumpets, saxophones. I'm not really sure what they're going to do, <laughs> but they're worth a lot of money. The moves are designed to preserve liquidity in the market. In other words, the Fed wants to prevent freezes and make sure buyers and sellers still have the ability to trade. It's the third time in four days the New York Fed has announced that it will bulk up lending in the repo market. On Tuesday, it announced an injection of $50 billion. What was that? That's like a rounding error. Good Lord. <laughs> yeah. What did they think that was going to do? And it added another $25 billion on Wednesday. Well, if 50 didn't do it, then 25 will. <laughs> Stocks initially pared back, pared back nearly half their losses on the announcement, but then it completely fell through the floor yesterday once again. So here's the idea. They're going to put in this money. All right. They're going to put fake money, money that they have decided exists, and they are going to take it and they're going to put it into the stock market, the banking market. This is the repo market. This is overnight lending market between banks. They're going also to call the shadow market. They're going to they're going to provide money into the, uh, you know, the, the LIBOR market. And that way, all this overnight lending between the banks, because here's the deal. They're supposed to keep a whole lot of cash on hand, a whole lot of reserves, so they can afford to do this. But then eventually they just ended up using all of their money and they don't have the money to, to really send back and forth because it's all tied up. It's all tied up. So they got to come in and they got to provide some liquidity so they can still make these overnight, overnight loans. It also says they're going to be buying some other financial instruments. That could mean that they're going to be putting money into stocks, that they could be putting money into sectors, say transportation, things like that. They could be buying up some stuff to prop up the prices. So do we like this? Do we like this, Charlie? As a libertarian, as a liberty-minded person, do we like this? No. I would say. Don't like it. No. no. Now, right now, in the situation that we're in, barring all of their past activity, the job of the Federal Reserve, during what's happening right now, is this a potential thing that could be their job to do? That's what I would ask. What do you think? And we can disagree. It's okay. <clears throat> well, I would say that the the way they sold it is, yes, this is their job. Yeah. It's their job to try to stabilize the economy from its boom-bust cycles. Yeah. That's now, its job. Now, the problem is they helped create the boom bust right they cycle just, they make it worse yeah and so they create the bubble right the boom and then it pops and then they have to put in more money to try and save it afterwards when in all reality we probably just fell down to a number in the stock market that we should have been at in the first place right. that's that's what's actually happened it's going to fall down to what its fair market value of all of these stocks should actually be is what it's going to fall down to coming from where it's been propped up with fake money and irrational investing for quite a long time now. Well, and you brought up a good point earlier when we were trading this morning, you brought up a really good point looking at, thank you. You're the, right. Looking at the market is that people aren't selling off right now. This isn't a, this isn't a 2008 selling off point. It is a lack of buyers. Yes. Now what happens at, at a grocery store when there's a lack of buyers? Well, they have a sale. Yeah. You're trying to attract people to come in. And this is what happens. It's just, stocks are the same thing. 
I was you know, talking. Companies are trying to get revenue in the door to fund their operations and their research and all that. All that. I was talking to Lacey last night. She said, well, what's going to happen if people keep selling off all their stuff? And I was like, first off, woman. <laughs> no, that's not what I said. No, no, she was asking because I'm do the stock You're market still stuff every day. Morning, yes, so I'm still married. I slept in my bed last night. Yeah, <laughs> so everything's fine. But um, no, she was asking about that, and I said, "Well, hold off. First off, what's happening in the stock market does not necessarily mean that everyone has came in." and sold off their retirements and sold off all their investments and they've came in and we've had really high selling volume and it's just been people selling off like crazy. You can actually tell by looking at a stock chart, the, the volume, which is the number of shares, the number of transactions that have happened, the number of shares that have been traded, the volume on this little sell-off point here, this drop in the price, is about a third of the volume of what happened in 2008 right now. Now, you could say that was a ton of people saying, I'm out, sell everything, take my retirement right now. Right now, while I'm sure that's what a lot of people did, they said, I'm taking my profits right now. This does not necessarily mean that everyone who's got a 401k or a retirement plan or something decided they were going to withdraw it. Actually, if you've got one right now, you do not need to be selling things like you're down almost 30%. You do not need to be selling it. Honestly, you need to, you need to be buying into this because the long-term trend of the market is always up. And so you, you really do. If you've got, if you've got 10 more years left on your retirement, you have just been offered a large sale price on getting more on more stocks for your retirement. That is one way I would, I would look at it. And that's exactly how Warren Buffett would look at it, by the way. So you need to look at it that way. You have to realize that in the stock market, there's buying and selling. It's supply and demand all the time. The stock market is a literal chart representation of supply and demand. There's a certain amount of shares available and there are either more buyers coming in that want to buy this than there are people that want to sell it, or there's more sellers coming in that want to sell it than there are people that want to buy it. Now, what's happening right now is the amount of people who are buying is going down. No one's buying anymore. Whereas before we had still technically more buyers than we did sellers. So when the price continues to move down like this really low, it doesn't necessarily mean that a whole bunch of new sellers came in, that everyone came in and they sold off all their stuff and that's what's pushing the price down. What it looks like based on the volume of the chart, the volume of the shares traded, is that we actually have a lack of buyers. We have, you could say we have about the same sellers. And we've got the same sellers, the same amount. But we lost all the buyers. And so now, because you're trying to sell something, you're trying to sell your stock and your company in the same way that you're trying to sell your car. You're trying to sell your car for $10,000. Now, if you have no buyers that are coming in to buy your car, what are you likely to do? You're likely to start reducing the price and you're going to keep reducing the price. And let's say you're a car dealership. Maybe you get a few people to come in when you reduce your $10,000 car down to 8,000. Maybe you get a, a few more people to come in when you reduce your car down to 7,000. Maybe that's starting to happen. Maybe you're still not finding enough buyers to actually move the amount of cars that you have. So if you want to move the amount of cars you have, you got to keep going down into the point where you find that enough buyers are going to come in and they're going to buy up all the cars you got. And so right now as a car dealer or as someone who has a company in the stock market, what's technically happening is you are reducing your price down to the point where you can find buyers to come in. Now they're not physically sitting there reducing that price. It naturally happens in the stock market based on supply and demand. The price is trying to find the point. It's trying to come down to a point where enough buyers will come in and start lifting up the market. So that's kind of the big difference in if you have the whole country came in and sold off all their retirements versus people who were buying decided that they were going to stop buying. That's, that's kind of the difference. So now you've only got people who want to sell. Those are the only people left over and they want to sell. So now they got to find the price. They got to find the price where buyers are going to come in and buy their product. That's all that's happening right now. You can tell by looking at the volume. Like I said, it's a third of the volume that we had when the 2008 crisis happened.
it's not, this is not a very high volume sell-off whatsoever. And now I I don't think people with retirements are going to look at this. Surely, surely to God, you would not look at yourself down 30% and decide, I got to sell everything. That's, I I, I just don't see that being, I I don't see that being a smart idea whatsoever. Unless you need to retire, you're about to retire in the next two months. Like if you're about to retire in the next two months, then you might say, oh crap, I need to go ahead and take this. If you're about to retire in the next few years, then you don't need to be looking at selling off your stuff right now. Not, not at all. So there's a little bit, little bit of difference, a little bit of mentality difference in what's going on in the stock market. Well, we haven't even reached, nobody's really lost any money yet. No, they don't, you don't yeah. lose money if you don't sell. You've technically only lost gains, yeah. like your, your gains that you had before. If you bought a house and the housing market collapses, but you still own your house and you plan on living in it in the next 30 years, but the value of your house goes down, did you lose money? No, you still got the house. The only re- the only way you lose money is if you need to sell your house right now. Right. Then you lost money. Then you lost. But if you're looking at selling in 30 years, you didn't lose money on this crash. You're probably still going to make money on it. So you you only lose money if you sell. That's that's the thing. And I'm not typically just like a buy and hold forever kind of person. But good lord, we're seeing some good prices right now. I do still think the Dow is going to come down to 18,500. That's what I'm calling, by the way. 18,500 before we see the major turnaround. So we'll see. We'll come back to this. There's some interesting things in this article too. Um, Critical quote, two weeks ago, following an emergency rate cut, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell stressed that his agency's actions should just be one part of a multifaceted response to the crisis that will involve health officials, fiscal authorities, and state and local governments. We do recognize that a rate cut will not reduce the rate of infection. It won't fix a broken supply chain. We get that. What to watch for? Bond traders are pricing in a 100% chance that the Fed will cut interest rates to zero when it meets next week, if it doesn't do so sooner in another emergency meeting. Trump has repeatedly criticized the Fed for not lowering rates faster, most recently blaming the central bank for being too slow moving and addressing the economic impact from the coronavirus pandemic. Now, that may scare you a little bit, but what's interesting is if you go look at federalreserve.gov, one chart I found interesting here is uh, support for specific institutions. If you look back in 2008, um, the Fed was supporting several uh, institutions here, AIG, Maiden Lane, uh, Maiden Lane 2 and Maiden Lane 3 LLC, which are some different uh, funds, I believe. And, And their support was hovering around, until 2010, was hovering around 1.2, 1 to 1.2 trillion uh, dollars. And as of uh, late, all that was paid back by 2018. And so as of right now, they're, they're not helping anyone out really. They're not adding, they're not giving credit okay. right now to anyone, yeah. to any specific institutions. Now this is spun by Bernie and all kinds of people. I and mean, you got a text from your Bernie bro yep. about how this was just a, this is a bailout for the rich and what we should have done. This is literally a tweet from Bernie Sanders last night. We could have, we could have paid off all of the student loans. We could have written off all the student loan debt with this amount of money. Okay. Here's the problem. Now I can both be against this bailout or QE or whatever. I can feel feelings against it and, and be backed up by economics. And I can also be against the idea that it would have been better for us to spend $1.5 trillion writing off student loan debt. This is a better buy than writing off student loan debt. It, it just is because 50% of America has money in the stock market. Your beautiful unions and your pensions are invested in the stock market. Your 401ks, IRAs, all this stuff is invested in the stock market and everyone has lost a ton of money. So it's not necessarily just a bailout for major corporations that this is. It's a bailout for all the people who own a portion of those major corporations which is half of America. So this idea that this is purely a bailout for the corporations is completely ignoring all of the working people who have their retirements invested in these corporations. Most it's likely not, most of you listening to this show, most right people now. or your parents, m- most people do have some kind of money in it. And so that if you want to just look at it as a bailout for the major corporations, you're just being biased. You're just being a political hack is all you're doing 
because you're completely ignoring the millions upon millions of people that have their entire retirements in the stock market that are losing a ton of money and that maybe something like this would help their retirement short term. Maybe I'm not saying I like this move. I'm just saying that this is not a worse move than bailing out all of the students who made terrible decisions to get loans that they didn't need to get. That's a lot different decision because that doesn't have any long-term value off of it. This could have an actual value proposition where you prop this up, you create a stabilization point and the market moves back up and a hundred million American stock portfolios and retirements and pensions go back up to where they used to be and they all get their retirements back. That's a whole lot different from just burning $1.6 trillion on loans that people freely took out and don't want to pay back. That's, that's a completely different situation, not to mention the fact that this is the Fed, technically a private bank that is coming in private and doing Central this. Bank. This is the Fed and the student loan bailout would have to actually come from the government budget. Those are technically two things, although yes, this 1.5 trillion is going to have to come back from the government, from, from the budget in some kind of way. They're going to have to pay interest on this kind of stuff, you know, but they're not giving this loans only to the government. They said they're going to buy some treasuries. They're going to buy some stuff and then some of it's going to go to the private people. So it's not all going to get paid back by the government, right? you know? So it's just, it's not the same thing. And I'm not saying I like it either way, but I like it way better than just burning $1.6 trillion to, to bail out people who simply made bad loans. If you had those two options. If those were my only two options. Right. Yeah. My lesser of two evils. Which we do have a central bank. So those. We have one. Right. And, and liberals love the central bank. Yes. They love it. Woodrow Under Wilson o- is the one who put it in. Woodrow Wilson uh, created, helped create the Federal Reserve. And liberals love this. The Federal Reserve is Keynesianism in action. That's what it is. Yeah. They literally think that when economies are doing terribly, that the Federal Reserve should come in, print fake money, and inject money into the into the economy. We this is gotta, literally their ide- ideology. Just got to spend more. Yeah. That's this is the only problem is well, there's someone with an R next to their name that's the president right now, and that's the problem. Yeah. He's doing the same thing Obama did. That's a, how much was it? <laughs> which, what was it under Obama when we were also in a financial crisis right. at that time? Over two. Over two trillion. Okay. And quantitative easing. Yeah. Yeah. It was probably more than that, I bet. But $2 trillion was definitely the baseline figure I found, that it was at least $2 trillion. Well, he could have paid off the student loan debt with that. Why didn't he just do that? Student loan debt was actually less. Instead, he decided that the government needed to start making money off of your student yeah. loans. That's, that's what they decided while Obama was in office. So it's you got to check your biases here. And I'm not saying because Obama did it, it's okay that Trump did it. And by the way, neither one of them were doing it. The Federal Reserve is separate from the president. But I'm not saying because it happened under Obama that it's okay for it to happen under Trump. I'm just saying if you're going to come out and criticize this injection of cash into the market, this quantitative easing, you got to check your biases and you got to be principled and you got to also be writing some articles about how the money that went in under Obama could have bailed out all the students. But no one's going to do that. No one's going to do that. Doesn't fit the narrative. Doesn't fit the narrative, man. It just don't fit it. And in the libertarian sense, you know, you don't like the Federal Reserve in, in the fact that it does create larger boom and bust cycles. Yeah. So by the Fed injecting this one and a half trillion dollars and however much they're going to inject over the next coming weeks or months and lowering interest rates down to zero, what it does is that it's it's centrally controlling the bubbles that happen in a natural free market. And what it does is it keeps inflating them and it's just reducing it it's it, it's kicking the can down the street, so to speak. Yeah. When it comes to actually busting that that bubble. And you see it in the bond market. You see it in corporate real estate and different types of things that it's been happening for years now. Um, eventually, though, the, the chickens come home to roost, so to speak. And so you can only inflate the bubble so much until it has to eventually come crashing down. Now, in a in a, in a free market without a centralized bank, uh, you would see these boom and bust cycles a little bit more frequently, but they would be less severe when it actually does come crashing down, which also means it would be it would be less on the way up too. You wouldn't see a bull market run for so long. Yeah, like like I said, we're probably, we're probably coming back down to the level where an actual free market 
may have been sitting. Now, maybe the shape and the structure, because if it were a completely free market, we might have Dow 90,000 and that we're coming back down to a to a support level, you know, because the economy could have been doing a lot better. Right. So it could be a lot higher number. But what I'm saying is we're we're basically retracing all of the fake injection right now. The bubble's popping. We're coming back down to what could be considered a fair market value for all of these stocks. And yeah, it's obviously made worse by the transportation sector, which is just getting hosed hard right now from this coronavirus. I mean, good Lord, United Airlines. I'm, you know, I, I never, I never make recommendations on buying stuff long term, but I have been buying up shares of United Airlines and Norwegian Cruise Lines. And maybe, maybe they'll both go bankrupt and I'll lose all the money that I put into it. That's a potential. That could happen. You know, Lehman Brothers went all the way down to zero. Like, yeah. this, this can happen. They, but I, in my mind, you know, when the 2008 crisis hit, Bank of America went down to $5 a share. And I remember sending a message to my dad. And I took a screenshot of it. And I said, Dad, Bank of America just came from $30 a share down to $5 a share. Bank of America is not going to go bankrupt. That, that's not going to happen. They should have. They should have. But they're not going to go bankrupt. But we didn't allow it. (laughs) They're not going to allow it. So right now I can take a bet on no one's going to allow United Airlines to go bankrupt. So I I can take that bet right now, which I'm sure a lot of smart traders, I'm sure Warren Buffett is doing. You guys ever wonder why Warren Buffett's been sitting on a pile of cash waiting? And how I, I was reading all of these articles about how the Warren Buffett, the Oracle of Omaha, had, had been wrong, and he was sitting on all this cash, and he was missing all these big gains that we have. What do you think would happen to him if he was had all of that invested? Now he's sitting on a big pile of cash, and I guarantee you he's buying up a bunch of crap right now. I guarantee you he mm-hmm. is. He's waiting for United Airlines to need a loan to stay in business, just like he did with... Um, I'll mess it up. I don't. I remember what bank it was, but he he gave a big loan to a bank uh, when the financial crisis happened, and ended up I think making he had a ten percent guarantee return on that for them to pay him back. Yeah. And he was supposed to be paid back like first. He had like the right of the whatever you know getting the money back first. I can't remember what that's called, but um, he made that money back. It was a guaranteed return for him. Good Lord, like who, even, even if they got bailed out, the money we, was going to have to go to him. Who can we get $50 billion from? Oh, yeah. Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. <laughs> he's got the cash. Yeah. So well, th- that's why he's been sitting there waiting. And you got to ask yourself, what what's old Warren Buffett looking to do right now? You think he's selling all of his crap right now? Uh-uh. No way. He's accumulating shares right now. He's accumulating a position. So when this goes back up, might be after he's dead. But when this goes back up, Berkshire Hathaway is going to see a massive gain from this. I guarantee you they're going to see an insane gain from this. So you guys just have to try and think like that. Keep some of the fear at bay. Now we got to talk about, we got to talk about. Looks like it was Mars Incorporated. What was that? Mars. Mars. The heck that's, is Mars? That's the candy company, isn't it? They own m and I know we gave a that? loan to a bank also. I know we did that. It's popping up with Mars Incorporated. Because I read it. I read it in the book, so it's true. Yeah. So, so it's got to be true. Um, let's talk about coronavirus. Can we? We need to come. We said we come up with a cooler name today for it. Mm. You know, I had I had the rhinovirus a couple months ago, and everyone was fine because I just told everyone that I had a cold. Right. You know, everyone was fine. No one got scared about that. But the, the cold, sniffles. The, the the sniffles are also called the rhinovirus. So we need a we need a better name. Someone help us come up with a better name for the coronavirus. Anyone got anything? I mean, it messes up your lungs. Could you come up with something? Ah, that would still be scary. We need a non-scary name. I was thinking we could call it the wet lung, but I don't think that that's going to work very well, and it seems insensitive. Yeah. So we're not going to go with wet lung. So someone come up with something better. Someone come uh, up with something better go. than that. Sorry, you're right. Goldman Sachs, five okay. billion to Goldman Sachs in response to Goldman's need to raise capital in the early days of the financial crisis. So, yeah, there you go. What uh what's your coronavirus update, Charles? You got a nice update on us? Well, how, how you we want to see the numbers from worldometers.info? Just, just a couple quick numbers to yeah. to c- COVID watch. 
Yeah. So yesterday, I can't remember where we were at. We were at like what, 124,000, I think is where it was. No, it was yesterday. in the 130s. Oh, that's right. Yeah. My numbers were wrong. Yeah. Today, uh, we're at 142,775. So we've gained some. Um, and let's see gained here. About, gained about 7%. China only gained eight. Uh, sorry, eight deaths today. They gained 22 new cases. Italy, top in the list. 2,547 new cases. They had 250 new deaths today. Whoa. That's a lot. That is a lot. So Italy sitting in second place. <laughs> second place. Good Lord. Oh, God. Um, they have 17,660 people. Uh, that's their total amount <laughs> of cases. They have 14,955 active cases. Uh, what's interesting here is coming in fourth on the list is South Korea. 7,979 cases. They had 110 new cases today, and they've had 71 total deaths. Now, it's so, interesting that South Korea would be fourth on the list for having this because they do have a single-payer Medicare system. Yeah. Uh, so, according, according, yeah, according, yeah. according to AOC, well, this should be fine. In fact, let me read you a tweet from AOC, from at AOC right here. Want to know one major reason why South Korea has had stellar rapid response and quickly produced a scale and scaled up 10,000 tests a day? They have a single payer Medicare for all system. Mm. We don't. Please remember why it's so important for us to fight for healthcare as a human right. So there you go. That's why South Korea do, has done such a good job with this. It's because they've got a single payer Medicare for all system. Now, now let me finish the numbers for you on that. I didn't know you have more. <clears throat> well, so they have 7,398 active cases still. Now, South Korea is a population of what? 50, 50, 50 million. million people. Yeah. Um, and right now they have 93 people that are serious or critical. So about 93 people that have the most potential to die. And total cases per population, they have 155.6 cases per million people. Now, you would think with the United States not having a Medicare for all, we would have worse numbers. So let's look at the United States coming in ninth on the list. One, hang on, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Coming in eight on the list, we have 1,873 total cases. We are up 176 cases today. We have 41 total deaths, and we have 1,801 active cases, 10 of which are serious or critical and total cases per 1 million population 5.7 5.7 now per, per million now that's because parts per million it's weird that somehow our numbers are better yet we don't have medicare for all south korea medicare for all italy medicare for all yeah the, the, so what these i was going to countries ask, i i don't understand how she's drawing the correlation you here. said we were number eight i'm assuming the seven that are above us have way more capitalist health health care systems than we do right and then all the rest they go down the medicare for all type systems right that's weird isn't that what happens like the seven that are above us are way more capitalist than their health care systems they're not no france germany spain south korea iran italy china those are the countries above us. Capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. So it's capitalism that's destroying. So this is what happens when you're just a political hack that is trying to use a, to never let a good crisis go to waste. And that's exactly <laughs> what she's doing. Uh, she's taking this and saying, well, look, look, South Korea has made more test kits than we have. So they're doing better. And it's because they've got a Medicare for all single payer system. And we're doing poorly because we don't and you're supposed to draw that correlation but then you got to ask yourself what about all the other countries on the list i mean if you go through the top 20 we did this in the pre-show which you can watch live by the way on patreon.com slash good morning liberty by paying a minimum of five dollars a month and you'll be able to watch this live we talked about this earlier you look at the top 20 we're the only capitalist healthcare system on the list all the other ones are single-payer, government-run healthcare systems. Mm -hmm. I mean, good Lord, China was number one. Who has more control over their population than their healthcare system than China does? Any, anyone? North Korea? And what number actually matters here? Yeah. You would think the total cases per one million population, the percentage 
of people infected based on population. Or the amount of people that have died. That's how or we do something like that's that. That's how we do poverty. That's how we do. That's how we. That's how we do gun deaths. Yeah. It's it's what is the rate per a certain amount of people. You don't say that we're doing better on poverty because we've created more poverty checklists. That's, right. You're not like, oh, see, we're doing better on poverty because we sent out more surveys. That's not what makes you do better on poverty. But apparently, if you send out more test kits, then you're doing better on this than the United States is. Although you've got one sixth, one seventh of the population of the United States, and you've got almost twice as many deaths. Yeah. It's it's just there's no correlation here between the healthcare systems when you're talking about this and trying to use it as a political weapon. There are arguments on both sides here. We don't have enough test kits. We got to talk some solutions here in a second, but we don't have enough test kits. What was there? I mean, the the figure I've constantly heard was seventy five thousand. Now CDC I've been hearing seventy five thousand. Okay, how many other ones are there? I don't know. Like, is that just a number that someone says the CDC has got 75,000? How many other test kits are there that aren't inside of the CDC? I, I did see that there's this guy going around. This was caught in Nashville. A doctor, a former doctor, by the way, he lost his license. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> was He had a truck that said, get your family tested for coronavirus. <laughs> and uh, he was it was on the news and because they had reached out to the guy on phone. And he was like, yeah, this is... This is legit. You know, all you got to do is sign up on the website and that's how you get registered. It only costs you 20 bucks. God. You sign up and get registered and then we'll, we send your blood off to Quest Laboratories and they're the ones doing the test. They've got the test kits and everything. And uh, Quest Laboratories was reached out for comment by the news and they said that they have never even heard of this doctor and they yeah. don't have any test kits and Man. all this stuff. So this guy, uh, you know, you have to be, be a little weary out hey, there. you got to make hay while the sun's shining, as they say, <laughs> you know. Just uh, don't fall for any scams like that, people. Ain't going to work. You know, don't, you know, just like we said, we did a PSA earlier, snorting cocaine or drinking bleach. Those are not, uh, no. those are not FDA approved cures for the coronavirus. So I do not recommend those whatsoever. Uh, you just can't draw the correlation. Now we don't have enough test kits. Um, we don't have any, uh, we don't have as many beds, by the way, hospital beds per million people as a lot of these other countries do. So there are some potential problems here, and there's room to talk on that. And uh, the healthcare system is about the most regulated industry that we have in the United States. So this is the government's fault, and they're sorry. But we got to talk about what some of the solutions would be to this. Why aren't there more test kits? If there are legitimately only 75,000 test kits, if that's all there are, are the 75,000, why aren't there more of them? Do you think there's any regulations or restrictions or crazy government uh, hoops that you got to go through to be able to do this? Sure, you got to make sure it's it's an actual test kit that works. But good Lord, I can go buy a DNA kit in Walmart right now. Are you telling me that no one can produce, can take a test kit, look at it, look at what it's testing for, and reproduce it? There's got to be tons and tons of regulations on top of this whatever that would be medical it's not medical devices i guess but medical tests and stuff what whatever the regulations are on that legitimately if you said hey um jeff bezos if you want to sell coronavirus test kits here's the makeup of it right here this is what you got to test for i guarantee you we'd all have a freaking test kit on our door in two days prime free shipping and anyone that wanted to do it we would and he would produce them he would make a small profit on them Maybe he would even do it for free out of the goodness of his bald heart. You know, maybe he would do something like that. But we don't. We can't do that. You can't just allow the free market to come in and produce these things these days. I mean, that would be well, insane. I was reading why. I'm like, okay, why do we not have enough test kits here? This coming from Time Magazine. When the first cases of COVID-19 were reported in the U.S., two labs at the CDC were the only ones permitted Mm. to conduct COVID-19 testing using a test developed by the agency's own researchers. When the CDC tried to expand testing by providing its test kits to state and local public health labs, there were problems with the initial version of the kits, which the CDC then reworked. Okay. Well, imagine that. And this is the problem. Like, So now you're waiting basically on the government to provide test kits. Just ask me why you can go to Ancestry.com 
or whatever the other ones are where you can go. I mean, they've got all that crap in, in Walmart and the pharmacy now. You pay 50 bucks and you can test yourself for markers that say, you know, whether or not you have a high likelihood of having cancer or whatever. You can test yourself. Like, why hasn't the formula or whatever just been released to the free market so they can easily create all of this and get test kits out to everyone for $5 a piece? Why, why hasn't this happened? It's, I'm just saying, it's because they won't allow it to happen. Or, if they would allow it to happen, we'd know because we'd all have test kits. Trust me, because the demand for a coronavirus test kit is crazy high right now. So if they were allowed to produce it and sell it, we'd all have the option to buy one and have it sent to us right now. We would. Or we'd have an option to go somewhere and do it or whatever. We, we simply don't have that option. That's, that's the problem. And we have the same thing when it comes to hospital beds. Listen to this. There are also still technical hurdles for some of the labs that are trying to run the CDC test. Smaller labs, including those at major hospitals, are struggling to meet some of the FDA's approval requirements. <laughs> now, it's obviously our capitalistic system. That's what it is. That's, they're, they're holding us back from testing these people. It's just pure greedy capitalism that's holding. It can't be the CDC or the FDA that have screwed up. And that's the thing. Like We're sitting, is, we're sitting here hoping that the government's going to make enough test kits to send them out to us. What, why are we doing this? Why are we sitting here waiting on them to take care of us? If there is a freaking formula for testing for coronavirus, then put it on the CDC's website and all of us will have test kits next week. Literally. No act of Congress necessary. No giant stimulus package. Nothing whatsoever. It'll all be there. We'll all have it. It'll be on the freaking shelves in Walmart come Monday morning next week. It'll be there. Okay, this is the freaking problem is we get in the situation where we're waiting for the government to take care of us all the time. And then when the time comes for it, well, gosh, darn it, we just don't have the right president. And now we're all going to die. That's the problem. They created the coronavirus task force headed up by Vice President Mike Pence. And when they didn't meet the the, the goal was to get a million test kits uh, done by last, I, I believe last week, they extended it a week, which I think is today that ends today now. Um, so what would we ever do? What have people ever done without the coronavirus task force? You take like away, how- <laughs> you take away this, this restriction and Elon Musk will be testing people on Mars for coronavirus come a couple months from now. Okay. <laughs> it kind of takes eight months to get there. So doesn't matter. I said, release all the restrictions. He'd invent something new. Okay. Right. I'm just saying, just, just saying like literally this can be solved. We have crazy, crazy complex well, Nate, things. Do you just want anybody testing anybody? I want it to be a good test kit. You know what's going to happen? If someone released a shoddy test kit and then you find out that it didn't work, then whoever's selling that isn't going to be able to sell any more test kits. Right. So, kind of like that doctor that, that we exposed. like that doctor. A few people maybe got burned for 20 bucks and then, and then, that, and then that was it. Now he's shut down. Now he's shut down. Yeah. That's, that's all you need is a, a freaking review page for the test kit that says whether or not it worked. I tested here and then, well, come find out a month later, I tested and it, it looks like I did have coronavirus or something like that. And this test kit is crap. Don't buy it. One star. Don't do it. Right. And then someone's going to have to create a test kit that's better. It's just, it's ridiculous, man, sitting here trying to get the government to make the right moves so we can take a freaking test to see if we have something. When I can check and see that Elizabeth Warren is not Native American just by sending in some stuff <laughs> into a company. Like, it, this is completely ridiculous. It is. It's insane, dude. It's, and then we got the, <laughs> the problem with the hospital beds. And I saw a big story. Here's our issue. And this is an issue, by the way. Um, well, I can't talk too much about it, but I will say people... Uh, high up in the healthcare industry also see this as a major issue if this does keep going. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Uh, So people high up in the healthcare industry see this as an issue. We don't have enough beds. We do not have enough beds. This is the problem in Italy that they're having. It's the problem in Italy. That's why they're telling elderly people uh, to see you later. Thank you for your patronage. Yep. Okay. Here's a pizza. There you go. So that's what they're telling old people in Italy. Now, we have the same problem. We've got something like three beds per million people in the United States. 
And I think South Korea have a, has like 10 beds per million people. So there's, there's numbers like that where if it got really serious, well, you could run into a really big issue. There's issues with not having enough respiratory, say, medications and medical devices, the things that the hospitals are going to need to protect people. Who do you think stops people from creating those things and selling them at, at reasonable prices? Like, why is that whole system so difficult? You ever think medical devices are included in any of our healthcare laws whatsoever? Or FDA regulations? FDA regulations, any of that stuff? Is a hospital going to keep attracting people if their respiratory equipment is terrible? Hey, good thing that freestanding ED didn't get approved. That's so good. Because of the certificate of need. We didn't need it. We didn't need it. Yeah, we didn't need that new freestanding ED. I'm glad that didn't get approved. So this is how ridiculous the healthcare system is. And that's the problem. You know, the governments don't look towards the the future. They don't uh, businesses, investors, people in that market, they look towards the future and say we might need this. When a when a hospital wants to build a new unit, wants to build a new ER unit, freestanding ED, if they want to add more beds to their hospital. By the way, your hospital is approved for a certain amount of beds. It says they have to have a license. They have, a, have to have a license. And it says you're approved for 400 beds, not 401 beds. You're not approved for that. You're approved for 400 beds. You'll get what's called a JCO violation. There you go. So you get your JCO. It's the joint I've commission. Yeah. Yeah. Lacey's told me she was working on JCO, JCO inspections. Yep. Yeah. So um, you got to have a certificate of need to prove to the government that you have a need to have more hospital beds. Now, the problem is, if you're not in the middle of an epidemic or something like that, well, the government might decide that there is no need for this. And so, therefore, they don't allow you to build a new wing onto your hospital or they don't allow you to build a new freestanding ED. Nothing like that. They won't allow you to do it. In fact, if you apply for a certificate of need to build a new building or to add more beds or to add more medical equipment, your, your competition can take you to court over you receiving that certificate of need and try to prove that you shouldn't be able to do that. So one thing as a solution, I would say, one easy solution could be to remove the CON laws, the certificate of need laws. Let's just say temporarily. We'll say temporarily. That way no one freaks out about people being free to do what they want. We'll just say temporarily we remove the CON laws. And if a hospital wants to add a new wing with a bunch of new beds on it, they just get to start doing it right now. They get to start doing it. Because right now we have a process where literally my wife worked on a certificate of need for Centennial Hospital in downtown Nashville for over a year, trying to get permission from the government to build a new building, trying to get permission, millions upon millions of dollars spent trying to get permission to build a new building. How does that make sense? We have to take away the CON laws. This is an actual solution. Remove the laws, and hospitals are going to start building new beds so they can actually take care of the patients. And by the way, if you add more beds, then each one of them will get cheaper. They create an artificial supply, and then the demand comes in, and the amount that they can charge per bed goes up because there's an artificial supply of beds. Whereas if they wanted to double the amount of beds, then the same demand for those beds would be worth half as much money. Just like a hotel. Just like a hotel. <laughs> just like anything like that. Exactly like a hotel. When people okay? aren't taking vacations, if you go to somewhere on an off season, yeah. the hotel room's a lot cheaper than if you go in season. It's all, it's all goes, this is basic economics. Just like supply and demand for cruises right now. What do you think those prices are yeah. at the moment? Pretty cheap. You can you can get your test kit of coronavirus by getting it oh. and a $50 cruise right now. Lacey was showing me a meme last night. It was someone like had a mask or something on. It was like it was like when there's someone coughing on my $8 on my $8 flight to Italy. <laughs> it was like someone with a mask on when there's someone coughing on my $8 flight to Italy. Fly, I yeah. mean, flights right now, everything. Got to be everything so cheap. Down. Specials. Yes. Crazy specials. Buy special virus insurance on your flight if you want to do that. I'm sure they're good. I'm sure they'll offer it. Something like that. <laughs> so this is this is why this gets so frustrating. And this is why we talk about this stuff every single day, by the way. This is why we talk about it. And now when there's not a pandemic, 
maybe all these points that we're making just seem completely moot. It's a weird word, you know? It's just a weird word. And maybe all the points that we're making just seem like, oh, this just doesn't even matter right now. You're just a, another annoying libertarian yelling into the wind about nothing. Everything's fine. Get over it. And then you run into this. And then we have a situation where hospitals can't just freely add beds. We have a situation where people just can't freely create test kits. We got a situation where people just can't go buy more respiratory support systems. We have, a, we have a system that is built like this, which is not a free market, by the way, whatsoever. We have a system that is built like this, and it's things like this that are exactly why people make these arguments like we do every single day. Now, a few months ago, six months ago, maybe this argument was annoying to you. You didn't care about it. But how much does it matter now? Matters a lot now, doesn't it? That's because people that think like we do and think like you do, we look towards the future. And socialists are all about right now. What is right now? What can we do to help people right now? Let's not ever think about the future and the repercussions of our actions whatsoever. I pulled up this amazing quote from Thomas Sowell um, that I put, I think I put it on our page today or it's scheduled to go out some other time. There's a quote from Thomas Sowell. We seem to be getting closer and closer to a situation where nobody is responsible for what they did, but we are all responsible for what somebody else did. And that's true. That's completely true. And those people who are not responsible for what they did were not looking towards the future ever. They were making a decision that was for right now. They were a, a, a drug addict making a decision for right now. They were the Federal Reserve making a decision for right now. Or Bernie Sanders wanting to do something that could help right now, but no one ever building towards a better and a stronger foundation for the future. No one ever building towards that. Let's just do what feels good immediately right now. There's a lot of things that feel good immediately right now that are not good for you long-term. That is the case for everyone in their personal lives, and that is the case in economics also. And this is the product of that right now. That's what we're living in. Guys, if you're interested in all the stock market talk that we've been given, we have a class. We got a class. I've been trading for uh, several years now, been doing the market for several years now. Started a class because, you know, the market's down a lot, quite a bit, down about 25% over the last month, something like that, down about 25%. Our account that we started for this class last week is up over 12% since last week. Now, if your 401k is just sitting somewhere where you have no control over it, if your future is sitting somewhere where you have no control over it, then you've just been sitting there and watching your future be destroyed. <laughs> but us, we take control of our future every single day. That's what we do. And that's what we're trying to teach people how to do. We start from the very beginning, reading a stock chart, reading candlesticks. What is volume? What are moving averages? How do you manage your risk properly so you don't blow up your account? All of these things. Strategies. 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 Proven. Freaking strategies. That's what we're doing all the time. Telling you guys how we do this. Making sure that we got our minds right. Psychology. Managing emotions. By far the most important part of trading stocks. We had one today. Had one today. <laughs> well, that was just a, that wasn't really a, mo well, we stayed in it though. We did. We took the profit. Well, yeah, we stayed now, with the strategy. Now I, I got scared for a minute <laughs> and I legitimately was saying like, well, we need to get out. I just saw this announcement that Trump's going to do here soon. We need to just get out. We got in, we got to within one penny of our profit target. Yeah. And, and then it bounced off hard. And it bounced off hard. And yeah. we broke the dollar mark. And we were like, oh, no. Yeah, I was like, oh, we, we just need to get out. We just got to get out yeah. of it right now. Nope. Because we were in profit. But no, we were like, hey, we picked this target. This is where it has to go. This is yep. the strategy. Stick to it. What did it do? Broke right through. Yep. Right down to where we, exactly where we said it was going to be. Yep. 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 So that's what we're doing all the time. Uh, you, We've got three different tier levels on the class. You can do one where you're just taking the class and you can do live Q&As uh, once a week. Then there's another level where you can actually watch me set up in the pre-market every morning and you can listen to me too. You don't just watch me 
in the pre-market. It's actually watching my screen and all the buy points and the sell points that I'm marking out in the pre-market. So you can get some inside information there right now. And then we do another higher tier level where you can actually get all of that stuff plus a one-on-one coaching session just on your own. Um, it's once a month, right? You get one-on-one right. coaching, right? That's so right. pretty good levels. By far the cheapest trading class that that we've found. And I've taken some trading classes over the years. I'm telling you, I was paying a hundred times more for the classes. <laughs> I literally like not even exaggerating. You can pay a hundred times more for trading classes. So we're doing it for $47 a month. I literally paid just a thousand dollars one time just to watch someone live. Just, just paid them a thousand dollars to watch them live. So it's a it's a pretty good option, pretty good option. So if you're interested in taking control of your future, of your income, instead of sitting there wishing that the government would make better decisions so your retirement will go back up, well, then go to MasterMyTrades.com. Should have said that probably eight minutes ago. MasterMyTrades.com. Check out that website and send me an email at Nate at GoodMorningLiberty.us if you just have questions about it. You got any questions about anything particular to the class or trading or anything like that, send me a message. We'll talk about it. Okay. That's right. Mastermytrades.com. What a great website. It is. Go check it out. Uh, you forgot to mention too, there's a free trial. Oh yeah. So even if you hate it, you're not being charged any money. You're, you sign up and you're like, well, this is not for me or, or I want to get as much information as I can for seven days and I'll cancel. We'll do it. <laughs> it's hassle-free cancel it, uh, cancelization. 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 Yeah. So you just send us. You know the thing. You just hit that cancel button if you want to cancel, and then you're out. So it's it's literally you should. There's no reason not to sign up. Is what I'm trying to say. You actually lose money if you don't sign up. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it is Potent- true. Potential future income. Right. Yeah. So sign up. Mastermytrades.com. Go check it out. Sign up there. Um, if you guys want to support this show, you like everything that we're talking about. You want to know more about the markets for the finance, the Federal Reserve. What's going on in the political world? How do we offer actual solutions to solve these problems in a free market way? If you want to do that and you want to, we're getting ready to start the post show here, which is about to have a lot of fun. Um, if you want to see the pre and post show live, you can do that for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com slash Liberty. That's patreon.com slash Liberty. And again, please subscribe and share the show. That helps us out more than anything uh, not more than anything, but it helps us out more than you guys know. What would help us out more is if the Federal Reserve gave us $1.5 trillion. Yes. Like, yeah. That would help more than you sharing the show, but weighing out the two <laughs> options and their probabilities will take you guys subscribing and sharing the show. Right. Yeah. That's probably we'll that. more than likely going to happen versus the other. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot we could do with that $1.5 trillion. Quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's I not enough. Would, it's not enough. I probably would create a better trading website. <laughs> but... Uh, so anyway, that's again, patreon.com slash good morning liberty. And then also subscribe and share the show with your communist uncle and one of your best friends or three of your best friends. If you, you probably have three best friends. Everybody knows three people. Can three people that believe be, in liberty? Can three different people be the best? Is that possible? Well, best friends in different categories, maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. Cause you have to think there's different categories of friends here. Okay. You know? Like, now, are you like, life, in, are you in my tall category? Like my tallest best friend? Yes. Okay. But for life, like if a BFL, a best friend for life, you can only have one of those, I think. I got you. Anyway, it's not important. What's important is you're sharing the show. So if you guys do all that, we're getting ready to start the post show. So go sign up on Patreon so you can see the post show and get the next pre-show. Patreon.com slash Good Morning Liberty. If you guys do all that, we'll be back again on Monday. Hope you guys have a good weekend and a good morning, Liberty. Liberty.